This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. If you'd be so kind as to turn in your Bibles with me and just follow on the screen. 1 John 3 verse 1. I'm going to read the first bit of that verse. and It's a momentous weekend for us. It's a it's a weekend that, that we stop and we hopefully have taken some time to think about the love of God. And um, John the Elder, or John the Beloved, as he was known, is towards the end of his life in all likelihood. He's finding himself in Ephesus at the stage just before he was exiled to the island of Patmos and before he writes Revelation. And he writes this verse, and it's, it's, a, it's a verse that I just couldn't get away from since the beginning of this year. And so you will see there I'm doing a family foundation series in, in Summers of the West. And we're camping out around this verse. And I'm going to share one or two thoughts with you guys over here as well. And, and John says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And so what he's, what he's saying is, stop, look at, gaze upon, deliberate upon, meditate upon, cut away every other distraction. Behold, he says. So it's like a, a big stop sign that he's putting out there. He says, stop. Everything else that you are looking at, everything else that you are focusing upon, everything else that's important to you should fade into insignificance next to this great truth. It says, behold, take the magnifying glass, so to speak, and, and shine it upon the love of God. Right? And, and what's interesting there is that he's not saying, he's nearing the end of his life, and he's not saying, behold, the great love with which I've loved God. Behold, how faithful I've been throughout all the persecutions. Behold, the, the great sermons that I've preached. Behold, the many people that I led to the Lord. Behold, the many structures that I've put in place. Behold, my legacy. Now he say, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. It reminds me of the, the author of the beautiful song, Amazing Grace. It was John Newton. He was a slave trader um, during the first part of his life. Transported hundreds, tens of hundreds of, of slaves across the Atlantic Ocean. And he had a powerful encounter with the grace and the mercy of God. And it changed his life and he wrote the song, Amazing Grace. And towards the end of his life, he said, the longer I've lived, the more I've come to realize that Christ is a great savior and I'm a great sinner. And, and this is where, where John finds himself. He says, behold, if you want to look at my life, I can't tell you about how great and how awesome I am. I think Kung Fu Panda can take a, a leaf out of John's book. You know, the awesomeness, the awesomeness isn't in us. The awesomeness is in the love of God. I know you guys don't watch Kung Fu Panda, right? I've got a 16-year-old boy. He's too old for Kung Fu Panda now, but he's, he's six, six-month-old um, not 16, 13 year old. His six month, six year old little, um, sister has taken up the Kung Fu Panda thing now, right? So she comes running into the, the kitchen this morning and she's showing off her new moves, right? Kicking and elbow chopping and all sorts of stuff there. And of course we keep on warning her, don't run on the, on the tile floor in the kitchen. It's, 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 it's slippery. You can fall, but she knows better. And then another flying kick too many and foot slips out from underneath and bang. Head meets the floor, floor wins, there's a lot of tears. But, you know, she's just like, in, just in awe of her newfound skills, she's showing off. And what I've come to realize as we, we enter into our lives as, as young believers, there's so much that we carry with us that we think is godly, but actually it's just ourselves. 
There's a whole lot of stuff we want to do for the kingdom that sounds incredible. And we put a whole lot of wonderful spiritual labels on them. We want to reach the world for God and we want to do this for God. We want to do that for God. But if you strip it away and if you look at that many years later, you'll discover that, ish, there was a lot of me still in there. You know, it's like 14 years later now after I um, got married to my wife. At that moment, I thought I couldn't love her anymore. You know, in actual fact, I thought that my, my love for her was, was amazing. And God had prepared me my entire life to love this woman. And he had. But I really thought that I couldn't love her more. I mean, you, we were in marriage prep. and I didn't listen to anything the people said. Because I knew our love was just so awesome. Our love was just so amazing. Our love would just carry us through everything. And then we had to do marriage prep again. A little bit later on, while we were married, and I listened a whole lot more than what I did before. <laughs> All right, so do it again if you need to do it again. Do it again. All right, but looking back now, I realize the way that I love her now and the way that I loved her back then, it's hugely different. I'd grown in my love, and, and now I've come to realize that, you know, I'm just saying, man, I am a blessed guy. I'm a lucky man to be loved by this awesome woman. That, that the story of my life, that she's been faithful to me and she's been patient with me, growing through all of my stuff and, you know, just my obsession with sports and, and all sorts of things like that. And Nikki was so patient with me and, and she gradually just helped me to see there are more important things. You know, and watching all the Super Sport 10 rugby matches back then and, you know, all the, the, the uh, um, Formula One uh, qualifying races plus the race itself and the NBA basketball. I would watch all of those things in one weekend. And the Lord would do a mighty work of deliverance in my life. And, and I'm free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. I've been delivered from those things. All right. And now something happens like this week. We have this whole thing happening with Australia. And I know you guys don't watch cricket and beyond all these things, but there was this massive crisis in the Australian cricket team, right? Where some of them are called ball tampering. And uh, my mind raced back to a certain World Cup uh, semi-final that we lost against Australia. And I, I wanted something inside of me. I wanted to just say, payback time. This is, this is, you know, just something of the flesh that just, this rose up. And then the Holy Spirit convicted me and rebuked me for my fleshly attitude. But I realized that there's, there's even inside of me, there's still so much fleshly, even after all of these years. But you know, guys, what I've come to realize is that it's never been about me. It's never been ab- about how sorted I'd wa- I was many years ago when I, I proposed to my wife. I mean, Jesus knew that I don't have an inkling of an idea what the price would be. He knew that I, I thought I knew what I was letting myself in for, but I didn't. He knew when I surrendered my life to him when I was three years old, bachelor, I came bachelor when I was five. But he knew back then even, I didn't have a clue what I said, Jesus used me. I didn't. But he knew. But it was never going to be about how awesome Heinrich is and about how good a husband, or how good a dad Heinrich is. It was always going to be about this manner of love. This, this Amplified says, this quality of love that God bestows upon us. And, and I want to encourage you, like, like Lenny says so powerful, I want to encourage you, right? I want to encourage you to stop and to, and to focus on the love of God. He says, behold the manner of love, and, and this is the beautiful thing about the love of God. It's, it's not just love between brothers. It's not just love between a man and a woman. It's not just family love. It's this agapeo love 
This love that's got nothing to do with the recipient of the love. It's got everything to do with the source of the love. It says, behold the manner of love that, that comes from not just some omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent energy force in the world that's above the cosmos and rules over everything, but that comes from the Father. It says, behold this love that doesn't start with me, doesn't start with Heinrich. And this is what, what John says there. Just guys, when I, when I write to you and I'm, and I'm encouraging you, I want you to take the focus off yourself. And I know a weekend like this is an amazing weekend. It's, it's, it's Easter weekend and, and uh, we're entering into a holiday time and you guys are the blessed ones to continue to work. I want to thank you for keeping the economy afloat. Some of you are having to stay behind to, to study and some of you maybe couldn't go home. And, and I was in, in, in your position many years ago when I studied the short Holidays were tough ones because I couldn't afford to go home. The long weekends were tough ones. And they were joyous ones on, 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 on the one hand, but they were also tough ones because they were lonely ones and they were challenging ones. And I know weekends like this, they're incredible, but they're also tough on certain levels. Because in spite of this big Easter celebration thing going on, it's not as if the devil is saying, oh, hang on a minute, demons, it's Easter time. Let's leave the Christians alone. Let's not bug them anymore. Let, let them just have lives of joy and peace and feeling happy as they sit with the Easter egg and they stare deeply into its chocolate eyeballs. Let's, let's, just, let's just flood them with feelings of happiness. Sad to say, weekends like this are often very, very tough on the soul. There are bombardments of feelings of loneliness and condemnation and that word that came through earlier about the grace of God is for, it's not for no reason. Because some of us on weekends like this more than any other weekend are confronted with our own humanity. But the standard of God's love and yet how far we fall short of that. And the encouragement tonight is that God is in, again engaging with you and pulling you into this awesome truth. It has never been about how good you were this weekend. It's never been about how awesome your first three or four months of this year were. It's never been about that. Moments like this when we come together to worship God is to behold what manner of love he has for us. The father has for us. The king of kings and the lord of lords, the lion and the lamb that chooses to reveal himself to us as a father. Our 10-year-old girl around the the table this afternoon asked us, just hypothetically speaking, she says, she knows it isn't true, but what if Jesus did marry and if Jesus had a son or a girl, would they be holy, she asks. That was an interesting conversation that we had around the table, around that, why he didn't marry and, and who he is and, and all of that. And then, of course, we, we spoke to him and says, but Jesus, Father God, does have sons and he does have daughters. It's you and that's me. And because of his spirit inside of us, yes, we are holy and yes, we are still being made holy at the same time as well. This paradox. But God is his father. He isn't just floating around. I was listening to Radio 2000, I think on Thursday, and they were talking about this, how, how, and the ladies mentioned there, you know, we get so obsessed with a name that we give to it. You know, whether it's Allah or God or whatever, or Jesus. It's, it's not about the names. It's just being, about being in touch with a force that's with you and in you. And yet John is saying, we're not talking about a love that's impersonal. We're not talking about a love that's just some force. We are talking about the love of the Father. That he has bestowed upon you. 
Not that you have earned, not that you have deserved, but that he has lavished upon you. That he, that he has showered you with. And when I, when I think about this verse and John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. He's obviously talking about the people that he's writing to. And he's, he's speaking about us here as well. But you know, John was part of a very real us. Real people who lived in real time, wore real clothes, ate real food, engaged with real other people. And I quickly want to just put you into the picture a little bit about who the us were, amongst other things that he speaks about here. In Mark 3, verse 13 to 15, Jesus has been, has been engaging with his public ministry. He was around 30, 31 years old at that stage. And he, he says that Jesus went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. Right? So Jesus went up on the mountain and he called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. And then he appointed twelve that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. The first thing to notice there, it says that Jesus went up on the mountain. So Jesus, Jesus left where he was and he went up and then he called those that he wanted to be with him up onto the mountain. He called them up. He called them to a higher place. He called them to a different vantage point. He called them to leave some things behind. He called them to climb a little bit because he understood that for as long as you continue to do the same thing you've been doing over and over and over again, you will in all likelihood get the same results. He calls them. The gospel does this. The gospel comes, invades our lives, and then he calls us higher. He calls us to see things we haven't seen before. And some of you guys here this evening, the Lord is calling you higher. He's calling you to understand, as this verse says, He calls to Him those He Himself wanted. You are not here because your, your roommate or your wife or your husband or your child convinced you to come or to join this, this group of believers or to come to this church. You are here because He Himself wants you. He wants you. He himself wants you as you are. He wants you. Not, not somebody else, not the guy next to you. He wants you. And he's calling you to come up higher. He's calling you to have a different perspective. He's calling you to dream again. He's calling you to shake some things off again. But primarily, he's calling you to be with him. It's amazing how we can read that verse very often. And we can read it like, then he appointed 12 that they might preach and have the power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. And sometimes that's, that's, that's almost a little bit easier, isn't it, than the being with him bit. Because you can, you can do a few courses on, on preaching. You can certainly do a lot of courses on preaching. Eh? How are you going to preach? Is it going to be verse by verse? Are you going to choose a theme? or Is it going to be expositional? Whatever the case might be. And you can do a lot of courses even on, on, uh, on how to heal sick people. You can download a lot of stuff. You can go to, you can fly all sorts of different places and do schools of healing and schools of deliverance. You can do all of those things. And we can actually become very professional in doing those things. But this isn't the primary purpose why Christ called us. And it's not one or the other, but primarily, first and foremost, He has called us, like He did the 12, to come and be with Him. To come and be with him. And then from there to go. So it's always first come and then go. Come and then go. 
And I've just become so aware in my own life of how much I'm going and for how much I'm preparing and I'm, and even just today praying for the service and, 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 and just prepping a little bit. I thank God. I says, God, I thank you that I have the opportunity to preach your word. I thank you that you give me the, the, the greatest joy of my life to, en, to engage with your word and to preach your word. So I, I realize how often in my own life I need the word first to come and do something in me before we can do something through me. I need to be engaging with the word. I need to be, be, be drinking the word. I need to be eating the word. I need to be fellowshipping with the word. And, and God says, come to me. And some of you may be on the verge of going on your holiday or just thinking about taking a day or two off. I really want to encourage you to get back to your primary calling, and that is to be with him. I've counseled a couple of people who, who sort of come to me and they, they, they're not sure whether they should be in this relationship or not. And, and one of the things that very often is a very clear sign that, that really there are a lot of red lights going off here is if you should be convincing yourself that you should be with this person. If you should be looking for reasons why this maybe can work. You know, that's, that's sometimes a, a very concerning thing. Because mostly, if you're really in love, you like just can't stay away from the person. You've got to think about reasons why I, I should be going home now. I should not be. I remember I was, I was teaching at Porus. My wife was doing a community service in, in Beaufort West. And I moved into the Porus race because I wanted to save money videos for the wedding. My teacher's salary wasn't a lot back then. don't know if it's more now, but back then it wasn't a lot. You didn't do it for the money. And so I moved in there so I could save but then I was in Beaufort West almost every weekend. So I didn't save that much. I just couldn't stay away from this woman. I just had to go there. Got in my little Opal Cadet and woo, there went, you know, five hours, four hours, three and a half. No, it was, wasn't there. I was going there for the joy set before me. You know, I was just like going. I was going to go. Nothing was going to keep me away from her. So I loved this woman. And I just couldn't help myself. Why did I want to be with her? Because I knew that she wanted to be with me. I knew that when I arrived there, somebody would be excited and happy to see me. There'd be something in her eyes. There'd be something in her hug. There'd be something that'd be saying to me, I am welcome here. Because why else would you drive all those kilometers? They're going to spend time with someone that needs convincing that she is the person for me. If you are in a relationship and you need to convince that person that you are the right person for that person, I want to tell you, don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. Don't try and convince someone before you are having to get married that they are the right person for you. And please don't use the word of God either to say, thus saith the Lord. All right, don't play that kind of manipulative games. If you have a word, keep it to yourself and pray through but don't go and tell someone that the Lord saith that thou shouldeth beeth my wifeeth. Don't. All right, don't play those kinds of games. The Lord needs to speak to them. If there isn't celebration in a relationship, and that goes for now after we're married as well, I go home because when I get home, there's someone there that has prepared herself for me. It's excited to see me kids that come running towards me and I go home with an attitude, I want to bless them. Not that they are in my way because I'm home now and oh, stay out of my way. 
No, no, I've got to celebrate them. And so I know that very often we don't come to God and we're not excited to spend time with God because we don't really believe that he is excited to spend time with us. We don't really believe it. We might sing about it and read a couple of books on it. But if we had really known that he celebrates us and is excited about us, nothing would keep us away from him. Nothing would keep us away from him. The joy set before us of his presence. This is the air I breathe. It would just lead you to do away with some things. Whether it's food, cricket, whatever it is. So you could spend time with him. I was thinking about the songs we were singing with. And I remember in, in Johannesburg, I think it was about four years ago, God was, was speaking to me very powerfully and, and challenging me on, on uh, bringing an end to our time in Joburg. And as far as ministry was concerned, everything was going hunky-dory. It was amazing. But God was laying it on my heart to move back to Somerset West End. And I, I didn't really see the reason why. And so I remember just lying before the Lord in the church one evening. And the worship was incredible. I was saying to it, God, if your presence doesn't go with me, if I don't know that you're going to go ahead of me and I'm following in your slipstream, I don't want to go anywhere. And the Lord just dropped in my spirit and says, my presence will be with you. Enabled me to walk away from a ministry that was very successful. I had to go on a Sabbath rest. And I was not going to be able to do it unless I'd known that God was going before me. Just God, I, I want to be, I want to be like a, like a heat-seeking missile for your presence. I want to be like a heat-seeking missile where your presence is. That's where I want to be, God. And where it leads me to walk away from ministry, I said, God, if I need to go and be a teacher again, if I need to go and serve somebody else's vision again, I don't care. I'm not going to hold on to being a pastor and miss out on your presence. Because being a pastor doesn't define me. Being in your presence defines me. Being a son of God defines me. And that is what I'm after. And I will not settle for a day without God's presence. I will not settle for coming into God's presence and worshiping with the saints of God and it just being same old, same old. Now, God has done too many wonderful things in my heart and in my life. He appointed them that they might be with him. Right? Who were the them? Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. You, you know Simon. It's a wonderful chap, by the way. George, I was thinking about your, your sermon last week. It wasn't your first one, eh? but I, yeah, as a pastor. And I was thinking about my first sermon, I think 15 years ago. We were still in Stellenbosch High School Hall, and I was preaching. And I was preaching on Simon and how the Lord turned his life around and how God took Simon, this, this guy. Remember Simon chopped off uh, 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 one of the high priest servant's ears. Remember, just like, I don't know whether it was that way or that way or how he did it, but one smooth motion chopped off his ear. That's some skill, right? Just like, just the ear off. I mean, did it take a little bit of, of the cheek as well or a little bit of hair? Or was it just the ear? But the Bible doesn't say, but so the ear was, ear was off. And Jesus put it back. Sorry, graphic mind, right? Jesus put the ear back. And, and I was preaching about how God took Simon the zealot, and, and turned him into Peter the rock, right? Simon, because he was a terrorist. I was preaching about how, how you know, his terrorist skills, God, was, God knew who he was and, and all of that. The only thing that I missed was that there were two Simons. 
Simon became Peter, and then there was Simon the Zealot. They weren't the same guy, all right? But I preached this whole sermon on how God changed Simon's life. There was some truth in this sermon. It was my first sermon, all right? So uh, the pastors had grace on me. They allowed me to preach again, but uh, I don't think I would have if I were them. But in any case, all right? So Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, we know Simon, big mouth, all right? Did a lot of stuff, spoke too soon. You know, spoke before he thought, that kind of guy. And then there's these two other chaps, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. Right? James and John, they're brothers, to whom Jesus gave the name Buanarges, right? which means sons of thunder. Right? So James and John, they called sons of thunder. And then there's Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, also called Simon the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So when John says, behold, what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us, in a very real sense, I know he was thinking about those guys. Himself, James, a real person. And saying that the Father loved us. Us. And I can imagine him thinking about his brother. I can imagine him, him at the end of his life thinking back on their lives. Bonarges, sons of thunder. Jesus looks at them and he says, hey, you boys, I'm going to call you sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. You know, they, they, there was something, there was a passion about them, but there was also a, a little bit of a temper about them as well. Look at this in, in Luke 9 verse 54. Jesus is on his way to to Jerusalem. It's towards the end of Jesus' life. He's about to be crucified. He's a couple of weeks away from his crucifixion. And he needs to go from Galilee up in the north, travel through. There were two routes he could take. He could either go through Jericho or he could go through Samaria and then end up in Jerusalem. Most of the religious Jews of Jesus' day chose not to go through Mitchell's Plain, ah, through um, Samaria. <laughs> Chose to not travel through the dangerous areas. Chose to stick to the highway where it's safer. Okay? And so, and so he's heading, he's heading to Jerusalem. He chooses to go through Samaria. He chooses to go through an area where there's cultural differences and where there's religious differences and where there's tension. Jesus chooses to go through there because Jesus isn't intimidated by culture, ethnicity, or class, or any of those things. And then it says he sends his disciples ahead of him. And the Bible doesn't say which disciples they were, but he sends his disciples ahead of him like he always did. And they would go into Samaria. They would go into this village and they would prepare a place for Jesus. They would knock on a couple of doors, go to an inn and try and find a place, find a man of peace, find someone that would house the master, the Messiah as he's traveling towards Jerusalem. And it's a tremendous honor, don't you think? By that stage, Jesus' ministry had grown. People had heard about this miracle man. He had performed a lot of miracles. He's turning the world upside down. Everywhere he's going, crowds are following him. He's feeding thousands. He's healing many. He's raising people from the dead. And these disciples go. And Jesus, in the first part of that, that chapter, has given the disciples authority to cast out demons and to go ballistic for, for him. Right? And a little while later, his disciples go into this village. The Messiah is wanting a place to stay. Can he stay with you? And the Samaritans say, no. No. 
no, no. Bang, bang, bang. Slam the door in their face. And they come back to Jesus. When his disciples, James and John, Bonarges, sons of thunder, when they saw this, when they saw what? When they saw how this village closed their heart to Jesus. When they saw this, these two brothers come and they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Now, there's some license with scripture. Eh? <laughs> they knew about a story Elijah called fire down from heaven, okay, and consumed the sacrifice. And they're like, you know, we, this is the same thing. You know, This is a clash between good and evil. As Elijah was with the prophets of Baal, and, and there was a standoff between, between Baal's prophets and Elijah as the man of God. This is a standoff between the disciples and Jesus and these ungodly Samaritans. Let's show them who's boss. Jesus, sons of thunder, Thor, they just annihilate them. Hey, they've been walking with Jesus for almost three years. They're in church singing the worship songs. They're teaching the school of the supernatural. They've been on mission trips. Then they go somewhere and somebody rejects Christ. But I wonder whether it was Christ's rejection or whether it was their own rejection that actually hurt more. Because the disciples went. So who got the door slammed in their face? Was it Jesus? No, Jesus didn't even go into the town. It was the disciples, the messengers. So I wonder in this indignation, how much actually really had to do with Jesus' name and Jesus' glory and with their own egos. And they say, God, let's just be rid of these guys. Let's just... I wonder how many... Families, schools, bosses, taxi drivers get annihilated in our hearts. They call on fire from heaven. Maybe not literally, but we shut the door to them. This is basically what John and, and James say. Jesus, sure you don't want anything to do with them. Let's 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 send them to hell. Let's be rid of them. Look what Jesus says. And when I read this, he just broke my heart. He says, he, he turned and he rebuked them. And he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. He says, you don't know what, what the spirit is that you're actually carrying with you. Because if you had known, you wouldn't be saying things like this. For the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went to another village. And yes, of course, the sad truth is that it's a Samaritan village missed out. <laughs> missed out on Jesus. Jesus is never going to force himself upon that village. And he's not going to force himself upon my heart or upon your heart. And so when he says through the spirit of prophecy, come to me, draw near to me. When he says to us, my grace is sufficient for you. He's not going to come and take a branding iron and here's some grace for you. Take it. He's going to leave you with a choice. And Jesus goes on to another village. And so that village misses out. But he says that my heart isn't to condemn, isn't to destroy. My heart is to save. 
massive lesson to these two boys, these two brothers. Incredible men, but short-tempered and short-sighted. And the Lord has just spoken into my heart that for us as church family, there's a a short-temperedness and there's a short-sightedness about a lot of the stuff that we do that he's wanting to deliver us from. Because we tend to give up way too quickly on people. A scary place sometimes is to be in an intercessory meeting around believers. And we pray for the government especially. To hear the kinds of prayers that we pray. Jesus would, I think, often walk into some of our intercessory meetings and say, you don't know what spirit you are. Didn't come to condemn. Didn't come to, to kill. I've come to bring life, to seek and to save. And there are some of us in this room and we've got villages that we have prayed, Lord, just boom. <laughs> That's my past. Some of us just say, speak to the hand, you know. Happened five years ago, two years ago. And I'm not going there, Jesus. You've got to go on legacy so that the Lord can open up that, that door of forgiveness. But some of you can't wait for legacy. You need to come tonight. You need to say, Lord, forgive me for calling down fire on my dad, on my mom, on the boyfriend, that, that, that girlfriend, that, that boss bruised you so much. Maybe it wasn't a word that you spoke. Maybe it wasn't a prayer, but just that thing in your heart. And how do you, how do you know that it's there? It's there when you get rejected. When you're in a situation like that again, when you're in another situation at work or you're in another situation at church, some of us have traveled through church, different churches, and then you arrive here and the, maybe the worship pastor doesn't want to put you on the stage. And, it's not actually him. It's, it happened five years ago when you first got hurt in kids' church by somebody not recognizing the gift on you, whatever the case might be. And then we focus on the little trigger here and the Holy Spirit actually wants to take us back. That rejection. Some of you have experienced so much rejection in your life that you've walked away from the spirit that is really upon you. It's a spirit of compassion. Rejection wants to come and wants to turn off the tap of compassion. When was the last time you wept for the Samaritans? Each one of us has got a Samaritan. I've got a couple of Samaritans. I'm constantly, on Friday, it's the girls and, and uh, Jonathan, as we sat around the table, we just dedicated the weekend to the Lord. And we had the Easter eggs there on the side, the farthest end of the table, the communion elements. It's not about the Easter eggs, it's not about the chocolate. Many people look at the eggs and think they're magical. It's just nice chocolate. The communion is a precious reminder the Lord gives us. We say, now we're going to pray for our friends. We're going to pray for those in these first three months of the year that hurt us. We're going to pray in the Spirit, and then they 6, 10, and 13, and we prayed in the Spirit for a bit, and started praying names. And then my 10-year-old, it's a heart broke for this one little friend of hers. That it hurt us so much this year. I've, we've been on a journey with her. She's so sensitive. 
I'm like, Jesus, can't you just spare her this pain? Can't I just go in there and sort somebody out? She's got to go through this. She's got to learn how to forgive. She's got to learn how to walk in love. She's got to learn how to draw her boundaries. She's got to learn how to stand up. And we're on the verge of stepping in if this thing doesn't change. But there's a process that she's having to work through because she's going to need it because I'm working through some of that stuff. I'm having to release and I'm having to repent. I'm having to go through that. And what she's going through now at the age of 10, she's going to need to practice when she's 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 until she goes home to be with Jesus. But you know what was the beautiful thing? Was to see that her heart still broke for her friend. And I realized that's the spirit of Christ. Just able to pray for her and get into her shoes and see something that she's going through. And I believe the Lord is wanting to unlock some of our hearts tonight to connect with his compassion again for the Samaritans. But I want to encourage you with John's life because not only was he a bit short-sighted and short-tempered, he was also a bit selfish. Look at Mark 10, verse 35, 37. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, this is sort of more or less in the same phase of Jesus' life. He's almost at Jerusalem. He's a couple of days away. He's just told them that he's going to die. He's going to be crucified and he's going to arise again from the dead to death. Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They come to him, right? Jesus spilled his heart to them. It's an incredible moment. Then these two sons of thunder, they come to him. He says, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They're in the presence of God and they come with this thing. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? It's so amazing again. Jesus has been very vulnerable towards them. He knows what's in their hearts. If I were Jesus, I would just like say, I can't, I really cannot deal with this right now. I'm on the way to Gethsemane. (laughs) I'm I'm needing all my strength, all my resolve, and I know what you're going to ask. And the the answer is no. No. Go to your room. (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? The beautiful thing about God is he always engages with us always gives us the benefit of the doubt. And how he does it. Always gives us a fresh slate. Always that you can start over again. You can ask that question again. You can come again. You can approach me again. We can start as if nothing happened. What do you want me to do for you? So they come and say, Jesus, just not a big thing. We just want that, you know, when you come back and you're going to sort out the Romans, we just, we just, you know, one of us on your right hand, other one on your left. That's all. That's all we want. They were thinking of glory. Jesus preparing them for his death. They thinking of glory. And it wasn't Jesus coming back to make a new heaven, a new earth and restore everything. They thinking, what's in it for us? <laughs> we can be on your right hand side and on your left hand side. Of course, we know what Jesus says. Jesus says, guys, you don't know what you're asking. Are you willing to drink this cup and to be baptized with the baptism I'm going through? And they say, yes. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. James was the first to die of all the apostles. John, the last to die. So they, they did drink the cup. But he says to them, it's not for me to give. It's for the Father to give. Right now, the other 10 guys, they see John and James. Chi-chi-ching, as my Uma used to say. They're with Jesus. And now they come back. What did you speak to Jesus about? No, no, no. Just between us and him. No, no. And then... Judas comes and he whispers into Simon's ear. No, no, I heard them. It's about who's going to sit on Jesus' left and on Jesus' right. 
Okay, and so this holy group of men says when the ten heard about this, they began to be, okay, this is now New King James speak, no? They began to be greatly displeased with James and John. They were the dingersen, right? They were upset. They were like, couldn't take it. They were incredibly incensed at them. Because they were so selfish now, probably because they thought, man, we should have gone in there first. (laughs) What's going to happen to us? They were upset with Jesus. But Jesus calls them to himself and he calls them over. This must have been quite a scene, eh? Like upset and there's probably like a still staper kind of thing there. Nobody's speaking to anybody else and guys are sitting there, you know, like all upset. And Jesus calls them into the boardroom and there they're sitting and he says, guys, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shouldn't be so amongst you. Whoever desires to become great amongst you should be your servant. Jesus says to them, guys, isn't that the way it should be? James, John, Peter. You know, the the Gentiles, they they rule, they reign, they want to go for the first, they want to be the first in line, they want to get the shine, they want everybody to see how beautiful I am and how powerful I am and how many demons I've driven out and how many people I've led to the Lord and how many books I've written, how big my church is and about my great innovation. He says, no shouldn't be this way amongst you. It's the upside down kingdom. If you want to go ahead, serve. Start at the bottom. And I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, yes, like it. Here's John. Here's James. They've walked all this time with Jesus. They're still so selfish and still so divisive. Why couldn't they just get with the, with the, with the program? But here's the beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm going to finish your second last slide. James and John, and just a little bit, of, one or two snapshots all right, into their lives. You see now. Selfish, short-tempered, short-sighted, divisive. They sow division. Instead of serving Jesus and praying for Jesus, they sow division amongst the disciples. Yet Jesus considered them to be two of his closest friends. Who did Jesus take with him when he went to raise up, um, who was it, Jairus' daughter? Peter, James and John. Who did Jesus take with him up into the, to the mountain for the transfiguration? James and John and Peter, sons of thunder. Those guys I wanted to call fire down from heaven. Those guys that were jockeying for position. I mean, those are, those are terrible sins, eh? Jesus still calls them his friends. Still wants them close to him. Close to him. I wouldn't have wanted them near me. They wouldn't have come close to my inner circle. I wouldn't have kept them at arm's length. But Jesus knew the only way they were going to change is if they got as close to him as possible. The only way they were going to change is if they got as close to him as possible. That was their only hope. Proximity to Christ is our only hope. And then John, the son of thunder, can write this verse and he can say, behold what manner of love. If you can read John's letters, you will see that the word love occurs over 40 times in one John alone, in all different shapes and forms. John the beloved, John who stands at the foot of the cross at the end. John the guy was closer to Jesus than any other human being ever was, probably beside his mom. And yet he had all of those things inside of him and none of those things 
intimidated Jesus. Instead, Jesus has pulled him closer, 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 closer. I want to encourage you, I don't know whether you are short-sighted, short-tempered, and divisive. I don't know if those are some of the things you are struggling with. But what I do know is that you can probably add a few things to that list. Your answer and your solution doesn't lie in distance from Jesus. It lies in proximity to Jesus. Because Jesus is not intimidated by that. Jesus, in actual fact, is pulling you and drawing you closer to him. And here's the last verse, beautiful. You can skip right to the last one. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Uh, Just imagine the conversation after they were rebuked. The other disciples, James and John, you should have known better, man. We've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You still want to kill people? You're still wanting to burn people to a crisp? What's wrong with you? You're still divisive after all of this time? What's wrong with you? Christ's spirit says, don't listen to the voices. 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 Come to me. My grace is sufficient for you. Because the spirit you have is not a spirit of slavery. It's not a spirit of dead religion. It's the spirit of adoption. It says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I want us to stand and I want to just commit you into the hands of the Lord. And I want to pray a prayer with you and, and over you because some of you have been called some stuff in your life. You've, you've, you've done some things and and over the last little while, you, you have developed into a very nice Christian. Beautiful believer. You dress the part, you sing the songs, and you do all the things, and you genuinely love Jesus. You genuinely love him, and there's nothing inside of you that's, that's malicious or anything. But you've got some things in your life that you've shut off. There are some experiences that, that were forged in moments of deep and intense rejection. You didn't call fire down, but you certainly closed the door on those experiences. I won't go back there. I'm not even going to allow Christ to begin a conversation with me about maybe sometime in the distant future ministering to someone like that. I'm not going to go there because it hurts too much. And this evening, the Lord is wanting to remind you that the spirit that you have is not a spirit of fear. Spirit of adoption. It says, you are son and you are daughter of God. And that spirit is a spirit that will protect you and unlock something in your heart. A compassion. Because it was exactly those very same apostles that wanted nothing to do with those Samaritans that would go to the ends of the earth to the Gentiles, to bring deliverance, to bring healing to them. And some of you guys this evening, you understand and you know, you don't have an Abba Father inside of you. How do you know when you have an Abba Father inside of you? You know you have an Abba Father inside of you when you have received a good spanking. 
I this afternoon I had to give Kate the spanking. She unfortunately lied to us about something that she did. It's not about what you did, baby. It's about the lie. So keep bokis. Bokis, Biki. But then, the minister to her. And in that moment as I'm administering the cleansing, and I'm holding afterwards, she's crying, it's not whooping, it's just tears. She throws arms around my neck and she holds tight. And I heard this so much, I poke his way there's an ever father inside of her that understands what's going on. Even though her bums burn, and her bums don't understand, her heart understands. It's a spirit. She's mine. She belongs to me. What's happening here is happening out of and through love. When you do not have an Abba Father spirit, you run away from God when He says no to you. You crawl up into a corner when people reject you. You don't run to Him. Some of you are going through some discipline. And God is saying to you, just embrace it, embrace it, embrace it. Freedom is coming. Healing is coming. Embrace it. Throw your arms around him. Put your snotty nose against his chest. Allow him to hold you. Come home. Let's close your eyes as there where you're standing. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.